Well, good evening. Continue our, our series, uh, Character Sketches, uh, looking at figures from the Bible and trying to sort of put some flesh on them so we, we get a sense of them. And uh, this evening we're going to look at the Apostle Peter, probably the person uh, outside of Christ who we have the most information about, I, I think. Uh, we have a lot about his life. And uh, he certainly is a, a very interesting character, a, a, a person that I am so grateful is in the Bible. Uh, if you know anything about Peter, you will know that he was uh, impulsive, he was rash, he would say things without thinking uh, and then regret what he had said. Uh, maybe that's true of some of us, that we say things and then immediately we think, oh, you know, how could I say that? My pri one of my primary school teachers used to say, think before you ink, okay? Think before you ink, think before you write, but, uh, you know, think before you speak is even more important. Um, so Peter often didn't do that. Uh, you know, he might say things that he would, he would run in where angels fear to tread. You know, he would, he would say things that are quite shocking and disturbing, and we'll look at some of them. And also he acted uh, out of fear of man, often. So he was loud, he was impulsive, he was rash, but enthusiastic. Uh, I remember hearing someone describe Keith Green, maybe some of you have heard of Keith Green, uh, a Christian songwriter who, who died at a young age. Uh, but they said, you know, he was the type of person, if there was a queue, he wanted to be at the front. Okay. I think Peter was like that. If there was something happening, he wanted to be there. Uh, he, he had FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. That's how he, he lived his life. Uh, and, and yet, uh, in spite of all these weaknesses and uh, even terrible sins that he committed, the Lord loved him and used him in a powerful and wonderful way. And his story is one of growth and change. And I'm so grateful for Peter in the Gospels. Uh, because if the Lord could use someone like Peter in such a powerful way, uh, there is hope for, for all of us. And so we're going to look at this man, and hopefully it will be a, a, a wonderful time uh, And as we, as we see, try and put flesh on him and visualize him and see what he was like. Well, let's start with his name. And uh, it can get quite confusing in the Bible, there are sort of four names that are used of, of Peter. So uh, sometimes he's called Simeon. So if you see Simeon, that's often Peter. Uh, then sometimes that's, well, that's the Hebrew version. Sometimes they wrote, wrote the Greek version, which was Simon. So, they, you know, so sometimes you see Simon Peter. Uh, then he's also called Cephas. So again, if you see Cephas, that's Peter or Petros, his proper name was Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon Bar-Jonah, Bar means son of, okay, so Simon, the son of Jonah, again, Jonah is sometimes put in, in uh, the, Gre the Greek form as John, so Simon, son of John, but it's Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, and in many ways, he was like, like Jonah, so son of can mean literally genealogically, biologically, you're the son of someone, but it can also mean in the character of. 
And you remember that the prophet Jonah did not want other nations to be saved. Okay? He, uh, the Lord said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And he ran away. Uh, he didn't want to go there and he ran to Joppa. And as we've seen last year in the book of Acts, uh, Peter also goes to Joppa. And so there are some similarities. He's often in, in the character of Jonah as well. And the Lord has to work in his, his heart. Uh, but Peter is not really his name, actually. Peter means rock, and it's actually more a title, like Jesus the Christ. So Simon was his name, and Peter was like a title, the rock. Okay, he was the first rock before Dwayne Johnson. Uh, he's the proper rock. Uh, Peter is the rock. Now some background. So he's, he was born, or he came from Bethsaida. Bethsaida is a small village the northern shores of the sea or the lake of Galilee. Uh, Bethsaida actually means house of fishing, house of fishing. And so that's where he came from. And that also really defined him. Um, he was a fisher, fisher of men, wasn't he? The Lord Jesus called him to be a, a fisher of men, as we'll see later on. But that's where he came from, his brother, was Andrew. So John chapter 1 verse 44 says, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Andrew and Peter were brothers. But they had moved to Capernaum. Capernaum is about five kilometers to the west, also on the shores of the Lake of Galilee, and they had a fishing business. They would fish with nets. They also had a boat that they would use, and so they were fishermen. And uh, he also owned a house in Bethsaida, uh, sorry, in Capernaum, where, where Jesus stayed. But this tells us straight away that Peter was a blue-collar worker. He was not from Jerusalem. He was not part of the academy or the intelligentsia of the Jewish society. He was a person who worked with his hands. He didn't go to a private school. He was not well educated. Uh, in fact, in Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 13, this is when they've been preaching and they get into trouble for preaching and the religious leaders confront them and they say to the religious leaders, judge for yourselves whether it's better to obey men or to obey God. And they're a bit stumped by this. And verse 13 says, Luke says, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Okay. But there we are told, they're not educated, they're not trained, they were not rabbis, they didn't go to rabbinical school or anything like that. It doesn't mean they, couldn't, they were illiterate. Peter wrote letters, so they, they were illiterate, uh, but not well-trained People who worked with their hands, Peter was, we don't know how big he was, how tall, any of those things. But certainly to be a fisherman, to work with your hands all the time, he would have had calloused hands. He would have uh, probably been well tanned in the sun all day out on the boats. Uh, so a hardy person, sort of salt of the earth people. Uh, one of the things I long for for heritage is that we would have more sort of blue collar people uh, because they bring something to, to life. I grew up in a mining environment uh, and, and before I studied for ministry, worked as, as a welder and worked in that environment, construction and mining. And it's a different type of people. And 
Peter, you know, maybe you come from that background. Maybe you, you're familiar with people from that background. They are more rough and ready. They're more speak whatever comes into mind. Uh, and that brings its own problems. But it gives you an idea of Peter. Uh, we have some of the disciples were well educated. Some were tax collectors. Some had, you know, these other jobs that uh, required these, these skills. But Peter is, is a fisherman, not well educated. And in fact, he battles with Paul's letters. Okay? He was an apostle, and yet he finds Paul's epistles difficult. And that, that, you know, that encourages me. The more I read, the more I read Paul, <laughs> I think the less I understand. I'm like, why does he use that verse there? It seems so out of place. But it, Peter writes this in his second epistle. Uh, he says, also regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him, he speaks about these things in all his letters in which there are some matters that are hard to understand. The untaught and unstable twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of scriptures. Now notice that he, he acknowledges that Paul's writing, writings are, are, the, are equal to scripture. Remember at that time all they had was the Old Testament. Those were the scriptures. And he then says Paul's writings are part of scripture, inspired by God. But he says it's, there's some things that are hard to understand. So uh, don't feel bad if you read Paul's epistles. You're in good company. You're in the company of the Apostle Peter who also found it difficult. So there we get a sense of where did he come from, his background, uh, the type of person, what else do we know about him? Well, we know he was married. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 5, Paul says this, Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a Christian wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Uh, and so Paul is giving an argument there. He's saying, you know, we, aren't we also allowed to get married if we wanted to? Like Cephas. And notice how he puts it there that uh, they were accompanied by their their wives. So Peter, when he went on his missionary journeys, would be accompanied by his, his wife. And so we see that he is married. Now, I, I think it's almost certainly Paul was married at some point because he couldn't have been a rabbi unless you were married. Uh, that was part of the requirements. But certainly at the time when he, his apostolic ministry, he is not married. We don't know what happened. Uh, it may be that his wife left him, 1 Corinthians 7. He talks about that, an unbelieving wife leaving her husband. But we don't know. We are surmising. Uh, but I've, you know, I find that Peter, when Peter talks about marriage, it, it certainly seems more pastoral and from a place of maybe more understanding. Paul gives very succinct commands. Husband, love your wives like Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, all correct, true. But Peter, listen to how Peter writes. In the same way, 1 Peter 3, in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without a message by the way their wives live when they observe your poor, pure and reverent lives. Your beauty should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold ornaments or fine clothes. Instead, it should consist of what is inside the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very valuable in God's eyes. 
Then he talks about Sarah. He says, Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children when you do what is good and are not frightened by anything alarming. Notice the pastoral aspect there. He understands that it's a fearful thing for a lady to be married uh, and to submit to her husband. He understands that uh, a lady may well be married to a husband who's not a believer. What are you going to do in that situation? Uh, How are you going to win him? How should you respond? Then he says, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives with an understanding of their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Uh, And so uh, he's married, and as Paul seems to imply, his wife would go with him on his missionary journeys, and certainly his understanding of marriage comes through in, in his letter. Uh, at his home in Capernaum, his mother-in-law stayed with them, so uh, he cared for his extended family. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, we're told that after Jesus left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Uh, some scholars surmise that, that Simon's house might have been where Jesus stayed permanently. That's where his headquarters were, because he set up his headquarters in Capernaum. After John the Baptist is arrested, Jesus moves to Capernaum and, and starts ministering from, from that area, uh, and he may well have stayed with Simon. But Jesus leaves the synagogue, comes back from church, he enters Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him, Jesus, about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. Now listen, to, she's an amazing woman. She got up immediately and began to serve them, Okay. So she's healed, and uh, instead of saying, I just need some time to recover, she gets up straight away and starts to, to serve the, the Lord Jesus and the disciples. Uh, one other thing, unlike Elijah, Peter was a slow runner, okay? Uh, Elijah was a fast runner, but Peter is a slow runner. Uh, Peter and John race to the tomb of the Lord Jesus because they got the news that, you know, Jesus had had risen from the dead, and they, they want to go and figure this out. And so they, they race one another. And John says, he arrived first. He won. Okay. Uh, Peter arrives a bit later, but the difference, you get an idea of Peter, because John arrives at the tomb and he waits outside. He's a bit cautious to go in. But Peter arrives and goes straight into the tomb to see what's happened. So again, uh, he just rushes in. Uh, he's not too concerned. Um, now, isn't it funny that the Holy Spirit records that? You know, I... But I I think it's beautiful because it tells us something of the fraternal relationship between the disciples. They were they were guys like race you to the tomb, uh, and and uh, and I think this the whole point of this series is that you would see that these are real people. The people in the Bible are saints, yes, but so are you and I. If you're a believer, you're a saint. These people were of like nature. They had similar personalities: extroverts, introverts. Uh, intellectuals, blue-collar workers, all different backgrounds, uh, emotional and more staid and circumspect, all different types of backgrounds. And so we can empathize with them and rejoice that God uses people, real people, uh, and that should encourage us. And so quite something that that, uh, John records this. Uh, Now let's look at the calling of, of Peter, uh, the, 
It's quite, it can be quite confusing when you read all the Gospels and these different accounts, but certainly what happens is, if we try and piece it together, is that Andrew, the brother, is a disciple of John the Baptist. They meet, they, they meet Jesus. They start following Jesus, but Andrew goes and tells his brother, he says, oh, we've met the Messiah. So obviously Jesus knows uh, Peter and, or Simon and Andrew, uh, it's not that he just walks up to them one day, they're busy fishing and says, follow me, and they're just like, who is this guy? Okay, we'll follow you. No, they knew Jesus. There had been interactions, and at a certain point, Jesus comes to them and calls them. And so uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus calls uh, Simon and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen, and he says, follow me. And he says to them, I will make you fish for people, or fishers of men. Uh, and so even in, as you've seen in, in, uh, you know, in the scriptures, that shepherds become shepherds of people. Yeah, Peter is a fisherman, but he becomes a fisher of men. And he comes from Bethsaida, the house of fishing. And that's really what he does. It defines his life. Uh, his first sermon, 3,000 people are converted. Okay, uh, He is really the first apostle who goes out to the Gentiles in Acts. Even though Paul is the, the primary apostle to the Gentiles, Peter also goes out to the, to the Gentiles and um, sees people converted. He is called the rock, as I said. And uh, every gospel records this, you know, that he is called the rock. And um, it happens, the most famous one is in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, and he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they give certain answers, and then he says to them, who do you say that I am? So he says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. This passage has been uh, the reason for a lot of debate. A lot of ink has been spilt over this passage. What does he mean that you are the, uh, you are the rock, and on this rock I will build my church? Uh, the Roman Catholic Church has tried to argue for apostolic succession so that Peter is the first pope, uh, and so they use this passage. There is nothing of apostolic succession here, and that's a later invention, sort of third century, fourth century, to try and justify uh, you know, the practices that they already had. Um, I think it's not that difficult. It's that he's, he's the apostle who represents the other apostles, uh, he's really the spokesman for the apostles. Uh, at any list of the 12, Peter is always first. Uh, the, the gospel writers will often say Peter and the other apostles. And so Peter is the spokesperson. He is the leader of the apostles. And so uh, Peter represents the apostles. Remember in the Bible there is this whole doctrine of, of headship and representation of others. And so Peter represents the, the apostles and, of course, the apostles' teaching. And Ephesians 2.20 tells us, 
that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So Peter is uh, one of the sort of ones who gives the foundational teaching to the, the church. Uh, and so that points us to, uh, uh, to the, the, the future building of the church. It will be built on the teachings and proclamations of the apostles. Um, well, that's a, a fantastic account. It's a glorious account. It's really sort of a high point for Peter. He, he, he understands who Jesus is. It's been revealed to him by God. And if the story ended there, it would be wonderful, but maybe you know the rest of the story, and then we get to see a little bit more of Peter. Um, Jesus then begins to tell the disciples that he has to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and scribes, and even be killed, but he will rise again on the third day. And then verse 22 says this, Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. It's incredible. You, can you imagine, you know, I just need to have a word with you, uh, just, just come aside. That's not going to happen to you. He rebukes the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? It shows you the, the, the foolishness or the foolhardiness and also the boldness of this man uh, that he is willing to do this. But Jesus turns to Peter and says to him, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns but man's. And so he is thoroughly rebuked uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is behaving in a demonic way. Uh, he wasn't demon-possessed or anything, but he is behaving according to, to, to man and Satan's philosophy, uh, rejecting losing one's life, uh, rejecting the gospel, rejecting Christ going to die. Christ came to die. But again, you see that one moment he's on a mountaintop experience. We saw this with Elijah. The next moment, he's down in the dumps. Okay? And again, that's so true of us. We feel sometimes maybe you might, I, I feel that sometimes I think, how could I have ever stressed about anything in my life? I'm like, I feel so close to the Lord, and I think it's just, why do people find Christianity so hard? It's... And then the next day, it's, woe is me. Uh, and, and, and that's how, how, you know, what happens. Uh, then the transfiguration, this is a great account. You remember that the transfiguration uh, account of the Lord Jesus Christ, where his, his glory is revealed, and um, the, some of the disciples are with him. Peter is always one of the close disciples. Peter, James, and John are the close disciples. Luke 9 says, verse 32, Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. They see Jesus' glory. It's sort of an unveiling of, uh, of that Jesus is not just a man, that he is God. They saw his glory in the two men who were standing with him, Moses and Elijah. As the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, no, he just speaks, okay? He just comes into his head and he says it. Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles for you, one for Moses and one, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then Luke says, not knowing what he said. Okay. <laughs> Ever been in that situation where you're actually you're talking nonsense? Okay. You haven't a clue what you're talking about, but you're saying stuff. Uh, Peter did that. Yeah, he says, you know, 
we just need to do something. A man of action, we've got to do something, but he is clueless. He doesn't know what he is saying. Or the foot washing account, John chapter 13. Jesus said, gets up to wash the disciples' feet. He gets to Peter. Peter says, Lord, you will never wash my feet. Okay, he just speaks, you will not wash my feet. <laughs> Jesus says to him, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. He says, Lord, don't only wash my feet, wash my whole body. Okay? He just turns 180 degrees, uh, and that gives you a sense of Peter. Okay? He, he's all or nothing. He's just out there. Uh, he's bold, often in a foolish way, as we've seen already, confronting the Lord Jesus Christ, rebuking Christ. He's ready to answer any question. Um, you know, I, with my students, it's, it's often frustrating. You know, people generally don't want to answer questions in case they make a mistake. Everyone's, or, or you know, especially teenagers, they're too cool to answer questions. You know, they, they reach that stage. Peter would not have been like that. He would have tried to answer every question. And even if he got it wrong, it's fine. He would just carry on answering the questions. Uh, he rebukes the Lord Jesus. He tries to defend the Lord Jesus. When they come to arrest the Lord Jesus, again, this is not a, a cowardly man, and yet he is as well. But when they come to arrest the Lord Jesus, he grabs a sword and is ready to defend Christ and goes to, to, to cut someone, the, the high priest's servant, Malchus, and he ducks and his ear is cut off. But again, you see the type of man that he is loyal and brave in so many ways, and yet at the same time also a coward, because shortly after that he's going to deny the Lord Jesus Christ three times. You can go and read that account. It's a young maiden who comes and confronts him, a young girl, says, aren't you one of them? And he eventually, the third time, he is cursing. I don't know the man. And you think, it's, this is the brave Peter. This is the Peter... Remember when Jesus is walking on the water in the storm and he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And the Lord says, come. And he climbs out and he walks on the water. And then what happens? He starts to see the storms. He takes his eyes off Christ and he begins to sink. Uh, and, and, you know, it's easy to mock Peter for that. But he had the faith to get out the boat. If, if he had little faith, what about the, those in the boat? Okay. He had the courage to do that, but then we see also that his humanity. Um, and then one of the things that I find so remarkable about, about Peter is his response to correction. Um, and I think this is, you know, I think it's a generalization that is, 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 is often true, that often people who come from small towns, blue-collar workers, do battle with other ethnic groups more than those in cities. Uh, they are more hard and fast, traditional, very wary of strangers and outsiders and other people and ways of doing things. Um, and that's a thing that Peter battles with, his life. You can see in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, where the Lord tells him to go and speak to the Gentiles. He gives him that vision of the unclean animals and says, take and eat. He, three times. It's noteworthy that Peter has to be spoken to three times often. He has to learn in threes, okay? Uh, remember, he denies the Lord three times, and then three times the Lord Jesus says to him, you know, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. 
Three times he tells him, take and eat, take and eat, take and eat. But he, he, he's, he's slow to learn. Again, like many of us, okay? Slow to learn. The Lord has to keep telling us the same thing, teaching us the same, the same lesson. But eventually he realizes when he goes to Cornelius' house and he sees that these the Gentiles, uncircumcised Gentiles, which is, you know, we maybe don't understand really, for him, this is really an abomination to go into the house of an uncircumcised Gentile and then he sees that they are saved and they begin to speak in other languages supernaturally. And he realizes that if God saves someone there, they're clean. It doesn't matter which ethnicity they come from. Um, but he battles with this even later on. Uh, in Galatians, Paul tells us that... Uh, Peter used to sit with the Gentiles and have meals with the Gentiles. But then some Jews came from Jerusalem and suddenly he felt, you know, what will they think of me? I'm eating with Gentiles. And he, he stopped eating with them and went and sat and ate with the, the Judaizers. And Paul confronted him publicly. The apostle Peter, he confronted him in front of everyone and said, how can you live like this? You are not walking in step with the gospel. It's an incredible account. And I've always thought, could you imagine, I mean, in your flesh, nobody likes to be publicly rebuked. What could Peter have done? He could have stood up and said, who do you think you are? You never walked with Jesus. I walked with Jesus for three years. You weren't there. He could have responded in all sorts of ways. And yet, the same Peter writes in the passage I read to you, when he talks about Peter, he says, our dear brother, when he talks about Paul at least, when he talks about Paul, he says, our dear brother Paul. What a humble man. Uh, what a man who could, could learn from others, could be corrected publicly, publicly humiliated as the great apostle. And he doesn't hold on to bitterness. He learns his lesson uh, and loves Paul. Paul is a dear brother to him. Uh, and so what a, an example to us uh, of how to respond. And so Paul, uh, Peter's whole life is one of progression and growth. And even as a Christian, even as a New Testament believer who has the Holy Spirit, he still sins grievously. And yet the Lord continues to use him and to grow him. And ultimately he's martyred. Church history tells us he's martyred for his faith. Uh, we're told that he was crucified upside down. Uh, it seems that he, he refused to be crucified in the, in the normal way. He said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way as my Savior. And so they crucified him upside down. Um, and church history also says that his, his wife was martyred as well. Um, and he witnessed the martyrdom of his, his own wife. Well, how does he point us to Christ? Um, well, I think that just the fact that someone like Peter, who was not a great man in the eyes of the world, he was a fisherman of a little village, a lake of Galilee, just a, just a blue-collar worker living a simple life. Uh, he had his... Uh, his sins, his weaknesses, uh, and yet 
that person is saved by Christ and is called the rock and is the leader of the twelve and becomes the great apostle Peter, used by God in such an incredible and powerful way. I think that shows us what type of savior we serve. It shows us the beauty of Christ, that he doesn't come to the mighty and the noble. Not many mighty, not many noble are saved, but he comes to the weak and the foolish. Uh, he comes to the things that are not. And so, uh, you know, unless you're mighty and noble here, uh, all of us are sinful, all of us are broken and weak and foolish in so many ways, and even as believers continue to sin against the Lord, and yet he loves his people and works with his people and is patient with his people. Uh, and so I think the example of Peter shows us what a great Savior Jesus Christ is, what type of a Savior he, he is. And he is a Savior to be, to be worshipped. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you so much for the example of Peter. Uh, we are truly grateful for it, Lord. Um, it's so easy to think that, uh, you know, everyone had it all together. Um, but, Lord, you, the scriptures show us the weaknesses and the sins and the shortcomings of your people. And we praise you for that, Lord. Uh, it doesn't whitewash them and pretend they, they, they were perfect. And we are so grateful for that, Lord, because we see our own sins. Um, and we thank you that you, you are working in us. You are changing us. We do pray that you would help us to love you more and to change more quickly. Um, and so thank you for the example of Peter. You are a great Savior, and we, we love you, and we ask that you would be with us this week. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs> well, we have a, a closing hymn. Be thou my vision. So, if you're if you're able to stand, please stand with me and let's let's sing together.
pleasure and receive a gift from us. And uh, just remember, uh, no midweek meetings or midweek meetings are on recess for a couple of weeks until after Easter holidays. And close with a benediction from 1 Peter. So as I read it, you can see how it fits with, with Peter's own life. Peter says this, The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen.